So good to see everybody this morning. Uh, good morning. Hello, beautiful lady. Stand up with me if you would, church. Kyle had to go and uh, wrangle me away from the front door. And <laughs> you know how you have actually. those moments where your spouse is like, come on, let's go, let's go. And then for a split second, I lost him. So I was trying my best to get up here and be like, I don't know where Pastor Kyle is, but we're going to start church this morning. <laughs> it's usually that way, though, because uh, you're ready and I'm yeah. still, yeah. Uh-huh. But today is a very, very, very meaningful it is. day um, on two fronts. We get to honor fathers, yes. people who have served in capacity as fathers for others, even if they weren't biological fathers, spiritual fathers, emotional fathers. And we also get to honor today as Juneteenth. Yes. And these are things that are very important to us, so much so that we think that it's really important to actually stop life sometimes and not have a normal service, status quo, but really occupy a moment. It really helps us to focus our hearts and our attentions and our minds on the things that heaven focuses on. And I was reading in Luke 4, and in Luke 4 we see a story about Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. And when she engages with him, she asks him, so where should we really be worshiping, right? Like, yep. is, it, is it here or is it there? Is it this or is it that? Is it in this place or in that place? And Jesus doesn't even, in his gracious <laughs> kindness, bother to answer that question. And he says, there's a time that's coming, and it's actually here, where you will worship him in spirit and in truth. And sometimes in our minds, church, we have painted what worship looks like what worshiping looks like in spirit and in truth. And we'll think about music. You'll hear people up here talk about we're going to worship him with listening to the word. We're going to worship him by the giving of our tithe and offering. But there's also a way to worship him that goes outside the, ver- the normal structure of a church service. And sometimes we worship him by listening. And sometimes we worship him by listening and leaning in. Yeah. And sometimes we worship him by changing things that have been maybe a little off kilter in our understanding. Because what God does is he builds, he doesn't just build his church, he builds his people. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the type of moment, like, we don't even have any music going on right now. Yeah. Not trying to create an atmosphere, but really connecting. God doesn't just want to build his church, this system, this corporation. He wants to build his people. And one of the most beautiful things that we can do to be built up is to build each other up. Truth. And to learn what there is to learn about one another. Yes. Yes. And sometimes Hallmark gives us great opportunities, (laughs) like Father's Day. And sometimes history teaches us Mm. to be quiet and to listen. Yes. And to learn what it means to honor. So this morning is going to look a little bit different, and that's with purpose. And that is with intention, and it's with the desire to honor and to celebrate and to learn. And as we learn, our spirits are worshiping him because we are learning in spirit and in truth. Yeah, so good to Yeah, look, I'm so glad. You know, um, first of all, welcome. 
If this is, uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for um, putting time and energy and gas in your tanks and truly everything that you've had to do to be here today, thank you. And uh, we, we are so glad you're here. If it is your first or second time, thank you for coming to Connect. Uh, look, we're, we're, this is what church for us is all about. It's, it's not just having a regular kind of service. It's about learning. We say it all the time. Church isn't about a Sunday morning event. It's about learning to live life well together. And so that's, why, that's what we're going to do today just differently. And so we're, we're not starting out like we sometimes do or normally do with, uh, with songs and praise and worship because we, we have crafted time uh, for our food truck, Thy Kingdom Crown, to be out there uh, for us to be able to honor uh, Juneteenth, but more than that, as well as having time together. And we know that life can be so busy, right? And that's what Pastor D was just talking about, understanding that worship isn't just words or songs or, or lyrics, that worship is actually happens when we gather together. The Bible is t- filled with times where it says, edify one another, uplift one another, carry each other's burdens. There are people in here who've lost parents this week, who've lost fathers this year, who, who, who have lost children, who have lost jobs, who, who just are struggling or who are on the mountaintop with God. We learn from each other. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Done. And the word of testimony. So we're going to just take some time. We're going to literally carve time out of service so that we can do this together. It's just going to be, right, we're going to do the word up front, and then we're going to do worship afterwards through food. And someone say amen. (laughs) Do you know, it's really interesting because, um, we'll just be really honest, these are um, steps of faith moments for us. Because uh, we know the rhythm of how to build church. We really do. We know the three songs, the offering, the transitions, the pr- we know all of that. We know how to do that. But that's just building church. And what we've stepped into over these last year and a half is really saying we want to build people. And part of building people is building with each other. Yeah. And if you look at the scripture, how many times Jesus called his disciples together to eat? How many times deep revelations of who he was came over a meal? They were just sitting together, eating together. Right? When we look at heaven, heaven is this beautiful picture of worship, right? We get to heaven, we're going to worship. Do you know what we do in heaven? One of the first things, we, we sit down at the banqueting table and eat together. Come on. This isn't a, this isn't a church issue, I mean a, a church a liturgical issue. This is a understanding what heaven and worship is moment. In the tabernacle, in the temple, one of the three things that was inside the holy place where the priest went to worship was the table of showbread. Why? It's because in that place, priests learned how to eat together. And in worship, in prayers, in the middle of wisdom, because the light was there, the candlestick was there, in the presence of the Spirit of God, what did they do? They ate together in worship. It's something that we don't always do. We, do, we don't, but historically we've done church picnics. Or we'll do like, when I grew up, fellowship hall moments. Potlucks. Potlucks, hallelujah. <laughs> Potlucks. But we don't usually take time in service just like we don't take we haven't taken time in service before for baptisms or for other to actually say this is community this is worship so today's going to be a little different but it's purpose different it's to honor and to worship it's to honor and to worship it's to honor and to worship what a great opportunity we have this morning can we just pray together oh hallelujah Daddy, we love you. Father, you are so amazing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for 
who you are. Thank you for life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, because this is what it's all about. Today we've come to celebrate you, Jesus, to lift you up, to give you honor and glory, to praise you for setting us free, to praise you for giving us your grace and your mercy, for praise you for always uh, shining a light in the midst of our darkness, for making a way where there was no way. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we are asking you to come and fill this place, fill every moment that we're together today with your presence, Lord God. We're, We're We're praying for divine conversations, for testimonies in people's conversations that uplift and break bondages, Lord, that sometimes the message, uh, the mess that we've gone through can be a message of hope for someone else. And so, God, we pray that those messages are clear, that your word is clear, that your spirit move in mighty ways where there's sickness, bring health, Lord God, Where, where there is lack, bring provision, where there is addiction, bring freedom, Lord God, where, where there is uh, uh, where, where there's hopelessness and despair, bring light and peace in the name of Jesus. Today we choose to live life well together. Today we choose to live life with you, for you, and in, your, in service to you. Jesus, come, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, in this service, in our lives, as it is in heaven. Amen. And together, in faith, together, we say, so be it, amen, amen. and amen. Come on, can we give God just a shout of glory? Can we just say thank you, Jesus, for who you are? Lord God, we thank you for freedom of the cross. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Woo! Hey. As you're being seated, can you just, we're going to start the conversation early. As you're being seated, turn to someone around you. Give them a high five or an air high five or a fist pump, whatever you feel comfortable with. Just say hi for a moment. thought you were playing today. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. I'm, uh, we, are, we are excited today, as, as Pastor D just said, about honoring um, Juneteenth and what it means, what it stands for. Um, the price that people paid in order to bring that about, the, the, the too long of a time gap between when it happened and when it was recognized by our country to celebrate it. Um, and we, we celebrate, because, you know, the word says, look, when... You rejoice when people rejoice. So we want to rejoice. Uh, And that's part of all of this. And I'm really uh, thankful for our TKC food ministry uh, that's out there. You see the truck out there all the time. Thank you for those who serve. Our indie TKC folks are in the house today. John and Age, we love you guys. They're crushing it out there. I get jealous all the time. They pop up pictures of food. I'm like, that's messed up. I can't eat that. That's... That's too far. That's, that's, how many of you know Indianapolis is too far for a drive-thru, right? But maybe one day I'm going to show up. Um, but we wanted to just take a moment, and I wanted to, Patrick uh, and, uh, Patrick and I, um, Patrick on on, uh, serves on our worship team, blesses uh, a lot of our young people as well. Um, he and I were just talking last week about, um, about what it means to stand together as church and celebrate these days. Not, not just as a nation, but as church to, to celebrate these days. And I think it's important that we take, us, take a moment and hear from each other 
uh, on days like today, what it means. So uh, would you guys, I'm going to ask Patrick to come up. Would you guys welcome Patrick Marvel with me? He's a fantastic man. Love this dude. Come on. He's got his TKC hat on too. I love it. Come on. Come on, buddy. Hi. Uh, good morning, Connect family. How we doing, buddy? Um, so this morning, I was tasked with sharing what Juneteenth means to me individually, but also us together as, as a church, as a family, as Christ followers. And I'd like to, to open up with a verse. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Now, that, that was a verse, but it was not scripture. It's by R&B lyricist Drake. And I know standing up here on a Sunday morning, that could be controversial. On, on Juneteenth, an American holiday, and Drake is Canadian. But... Um, just as, as I go through this, hold that thought in, in the back of your mind. We'll come back to it. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. What does Juneteenth mean to me? About 10 years ago, I was helping somebody very near and dear to my heart move from, uh, from one living space to, to another. And she had this big crew assembled, probably about 15 people going back and forth from the old place to the, to the new space, uh, packing stuff up, organizing at the new space, breaking it down, putting everything in, in its place. And we kind of broke down into different groups, just a lot of hustle and, and bustle. And at some point, I found myself all alone at her, her old place. I just continue the work, uh, organizing, packing, loading stuff up, getting ready to go. And after maybe about an hour or so, I'm wondering what happened to, to everybody else. There's something going on at the other place. I look at my phone, no calls, no texts. Um, after I'm done loading up what I can, I go over to, to the other place, to the new place. And everybody there is just chilling out, relaxing, having pizza and soda taking a break, like it's, it's, it's all done and they're celebrating and I just, no, it's, it's not done. Y'all left me? <laughs> Nobody told me that my favorite food was going to be there and, and you're here without me. And that, that was a very challenging moment for, for myself to sit and see everybody around there just relaxing without me. And the person who, who, was, who we were moving for, very near and dear to my heart, I looked her right in the eyes and I said one word in a tone that together encapsulated just the anguish that I was feeling in that moment. Mom! What does Juneteenth mean to me? I didn't grow up learning about Juneteenth. I was 
born in Brooklyn and grew up in a town just about half an hour from here. Uh, my parents still have the, the same house that I was in when I was uh, two years old, but my, my parents are from Haiti and they have their own celebration, an Independence Day, uh, that celebrates uh, independence from France that goes back to January 1st, 1804. So I didn't learn about Juneteenth from family history, from, from my neighborhood around me, from school. I actually learned about Juneteenth for the first time just a few years ago from a sitcom, which I think is very American. <laughs> and. I have to admit, when I first learned about it through the show, um, my first response was a level of discomfort. On the most superficial level, just the name Juneteenth doesn't roll off the tongue like Independence Day or Labor Day or Martin Luther King Day. And the history of it, the, the reason why it's a holiday on the way that it is, there's, there's a bittersweetness to it. The Emancipation Proclamation was dated on uh, January 1863, but Juneteenth celebrates June 19th, 1865, which is two and a half years after when the order was being carried out in Texas, celebrating when the last people were informed of what was already put in place two and a half years before. And this is also almost a century after the Declaration of Independence. People didn't learn about their freedom all at once. It's, it's painful, it's uncomfortable to think about, but that was the day chosen as a holiday. Now, going back, imagine being an hour late to, to a pizza party and the discomfort of that. I love you, Mom. I forgive you. <laughs> Just telling a story. <laughs> stretch, stretch that hour out to two and a half years. Stretch that hour out to nearly a century. And it's not just about pizza. It's about being recognized as a human being created in God's image. There is no fair comparison. And that's only recognition by the government. For the people, it's just a step and a new chapter in the beginning of a long journey. What does Juneteenth mean to me as a Christ follower? Jesus celebrated Passover, which commemorates Moses leading Jewish slaves to freedom out of Egypt. Jesus's last Passover supper which was about half a millennium from when the slaves were led out of Egypt, it ties to his upcoming sacrifice on the cross for the purpose of a different kind of freedom, and not just for the Jews, but for the Jews, for the Gentiles, for everybody. And that sacrifice on the cross, that Easter Sunday, that wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning of a new chapter. It's our call as Christ followers to share the good news. Christ's sacrifice 
was painful, awkward. And yet on Easter, we celebrate his invitation to every last one of us. It's our call to commemorate and celebrate freedom for everybody, with nobody left behind. That's what it means for me as a Christ follower to recognize Juneteenth. We remember the story. We empathize with the challenges from the past and today. And we celebrate together. Going back to Drake, I started from the bottom. Mm. Now we're here. Independence Day, the Emancipation Proclamation, Passover. I started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Yeah. Juneteenth, Easter Sunday. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, great job, Patrick. Come on, brother. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. We celebrate. We recognize. We join in all together. We celebrate all together. That's the beautiful thing that the Bible teaches us, that we are all together, all together. When one mourns, we all mourn. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. We have been taught too, too much, and we're going to talk about it in just a second, that kind of independence is it's, it's me and then it's everyone else who's kind of like me uh, fitting in together with me. No, no, no. It's us. Community Christ is us fitting in with what Christ has called us to be. What, what Christ created us to be. One people. One people. One pe- what a great thing. You know, none of us ever thinks, none of us would ever think about, you know what, if we have, if, if we have multiple children in here, none of us are ever going to think, well, you know what, I'll celebrate, I'm cool with celebrating two or three of my, child, my children's birthdays, but that fourth child, why do I need to celebrate his birthday? We've celebrated lots of other birthdays in our house. Would we ever think that way as a parent? No. We can't think that way as a community. We celebrate everybody's birthday. Come on, right? You, you hear what I'm saying? But, but I will be honest, we haven't always done that. And that's where we failed. And it's not a political statement. This is a people moment. This isn't about politics. Leave all that stuff behind. If you, if you have been at this church for any moments, you know I am going to tell you, leave that stuff at the door. It has no place here. Because what we do here is about ki- the king and his kingdom. We're going to talk about that in a second. But thank you, Patrick. That was awesome. And you, 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 thank you. He's brilliant and smart, and I love it. I love the story. I love, I love, he told me that yesterday. He was like, and, and, and mom, and I was like, oh, that's messed up. That's, that's messed up. I could see me do myself doing that, though. I'd be like, anybody see Jake? Oh, I don't know where he is. He's like, hey, we're going to do one last thing before we get into the word today, because then we're saving, this, saving some time for worship together uh, with food. But um, I want to just do something. We, are, we also want to honor Father's Day. So listen, if you are a dad, uh, if you're going to be a dad, if you hope to be a dad one day, if you are a spiritual father to someone, thank you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your sacrifices, your time. Man, dads carry weight. Come on. Just like moms carry a certain weight that dads can't understand. Come on. Dads carry certain weights that other people can't understand. Thank you. If you're a dad of a house, if you're a dad of a business, thank you for carrying it for people. But I want to do one thing today. Uh, I'm going to ask all the men to stand up. I'm going to ask all the men to stand up. This isn't about whether you're a father or not. It's whether you're a man or not. 
Because there's, there's a verse that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, we, we have a lot of people that surround us, but we have few fathers. Um, today, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray for you to be spiritual fathers. I'm not talking about biological fathers. It's easy to become a biological father. It's, it's difficult to make choices sometimes to be a spiritual dad. But what the world needs, what the church needs, what our communities need, is men who will stand up and say, I am willing to be a spiritual father to somebody. I'm willing to invest my time, my talents, my treasure, in my testimony into their life. I'm willing to walk through issues with them. I'm willing to say, hey, I've gone through it. I'm not perfect. I've messed up. But let me help you walk with the wise. Because the Bible says if I walk with the wise, I will grow wise. Someone said to me the other day, I wouldn't ever, I don't regret anything I've ever done. I wouldn't change anything I've ever done because it made me who I am. And I thought, man, that may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not about regretting it. It's about understanding this. There are some things that I should not have had to gone through. There are some scars I should not have to bear right now. Yes, I got through it. Yes, Jesus healed it. But come on, there, are, there, are, there, there were years taken away. There, there was joy stolen. There was relationships broken. There was people hurt because I wasn't walking with the wise. What we need is not better church services. What we need is men to rise up and say, I will be a spiritual dad. Whether I'm a, whether I'm a biological dad or not, I'm going to choose to be a spiritual dad in the community. So ladies, would you just reach out their hands uh, towards these guys? Father, we're just going to pray over them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now for every man that is in this room today, every man watching online that's on vacation, that's down the shore, Lord God, that's at home with their family celebrating Father's Day. We are believing for a supernatural empowerment of your spirit onto each and every one of them. Let your Holy Spirit fall. Rise up men, men, Lord God, men who are passionate after you, men who have a heart after God like David, who are passionate, who are excited, Lord God, who are dedicated, who are consistent, who are men who are willing to pour the kingdom and the king in, put the kingdom and the king in front of their own desires. Lord God, bless them. Raise them up. Empower them with new gifts. Empower them with new fruit, Lord God. Empower them in new, with new dreams, new visions to see new things, Lord God. Your spirit comes to give dreams and visions and power and strength to men in this room. You said, Jesus, you said, it would be to no advantage to us if you didn't send the Holy Spirit. But it would be full advantage to us when you did. So I'm praying a fresh anointing. A fresh anointing. Break hidden sins. Break fear. Break uh, insecurities, Lord God. Heal hurts, Lord God. Father, bring in a boldness like lions in this room. I pray the boldness of the lion of Judah on men in this room. In the name of Jesus, let culture bow to the lion of Judah. Let fear bow to the lion of Judah. Lord God, I pray for lions to rise in this room in the name of Jesus because that is your kingdom, that is the king, and that is what you're all about. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we know what's going to happen because you are in control in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. And amen, amen. Come on, give these guys a hand. We're believing.
for supernatural things in your life. Come on, man. Boldness like a lion. Man, do not back down. Man, rise up. It is not time in our culture to fit in. It is time in our culture to stand out. It is not time for us to be cool with everyone. It's time for us to bring healing to everyone. It's not time for us to build our dream. It's time for us to build the kingdom of God. The king is coming, men. The king is coming. And you and I don't get to stand next to our wives, our girlfriends, our others. When we stand there, we have to own our own stuff. And when he says, what have you done with the gifts I gave you? Men, we need to have an answer. And that answer hopefully sounds like this. I left it all in the field for you, King. I didn't get it all right. I threw some interceptions. I fumbled the ball sometimes. But my God, I left it all on the field for you. I wonder, is that the man you want to be? Because that's the man we need you to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, give him a hand. Let's be and see the one last time. I love you guys. Honored to be your pastor. Honored, 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 honored. Into the word because I know what we're having out there. I know there's good food. Like it's like pulled pork and red beans and rice and all sorts of goodies. So that's already in my mind. So if I stumble through this, it's because my mouth is, is already watering for the food we're getting. So are you guys ready for the word? I'll hop right in. Um, since you brought your Bible, open with me to the Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is the ninth book of the New Testament written by Paul the Apostle. Um, Paul is in prison when he's writing this. It, that matters because it puts it in context of what we're talking about. If you need a message, a title for today's message, it's the freedom of freedom. The freedom of freedom. As Patrick so eloquently put on June 19, 1865, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, General Gordon Granger stood in Galveston, Texas and proclaimed that every slave that was being held was being held unlawfully. And that forever, from that moment forward, they should be free. Sounds like a proclamation someone else made on the cross. It is finished, and everything became free. Here's the issue. They had, uh, they had a, a legal rights to a new life, but they weren't living in it. They had freedom, but there were forces working against them to keep them from really realizing, living in the fullness of what that freedom actually was. They were called and empowered to live a new life, but they didn't know they could have one yet. What a day that must have been when the news spread one to another to another. To men, to women, to the young, the elderly, to children, to teenagers. What a day that must have been as they began to realize that their, the, the existence that they used to have, how they used to have to live in oppression, they didn't have to live that way anymore. There was a new life that was available. There was a new way, there was a new life that they could now embrace, and it was freedom. Every time I think of that moment, it moves me deeply. The joy they must have felt, the elation, the possibilities of a new future 
The ability to dream. I never can remember a time when I was not free to dream because of the way that I was raised. But maybe, probably, for most people who are hearing that news on that day, that was the first time in their lives that they had the freedom to dream again. But I also know that with that probably came some uncertainties about what the future would be like. What this, how to live in this new freedom that freedom provided. So today I just wanted to take a little bit of time and talk about freedom. And how we can walk in the freedom that freedom brings. Because if we're honest, in our world, that concept of freedom can get murky. It can get a little messy, can it? Trying to figure out how to walk in this freedom that Christ gives me. What does it mean to actually be free, right? Because the Bible says Christ died to set us free. But that's more than just freedom from my sin. It's more than just the freedom from not having to sacrifice animals any longer. It's not just the freedom for you and I to be able to go to heaven. Those things are awesome. They are byproducts of freedom. But he has come so that we could have a new life. I, I say it all the time in this room. We, we are not, when you step into Christ, it's not just a better you, it's a new you. I'm not a better man than I was before. I'm a new man, so i got to learn how to live in the newness. Because I just can't do it better than I was. The old paradigm isn't a better me. It's not cleaning up me so I'm better than I used to be. It's how do I live in this new freedom, the new proclamation. It is finished. Now I am free. The old is gone. The new has come, the Bible says. So what does it mean to really be free in Jesus? How do we live in this freedom that freedom brings us when you and I have so many forces working against us to keep us from it? Things externally, internally. Come on, our, our selfish nature, our desires that aren't of God, right? Our, our just, just sin itself, right? We've got cultural issues, religious things that people tell us we can and cannot do. Everyone is trying to define and redefine what freedom is for you and I. And sometimes because we are listening to everyone else and not the proclamation of the king, it gets murky and it gets messy. In this verse, that's what we're looking at. In this text that we're going to see in Galatians chapter 5, Paul's addressing the fact that there are people in the church that are trying to put conditions on freedom that Jesus doesn't put on it. They are trying to, uh, they, they're, they're allowing, they're, they're trying to reframe from their culture what freedom looks like in a way that heaven doesn't reframe it. They, they are actually trying to put context to what freedom looks like so that it looks good on the outside, but Jesus says has no eternal value on the inside. How often do we fall into these traps where our, our, our freedom has been reframed, contextualized by culture, by people, by family, by dysfunction, by desire, and it gets messy. So thank God we have the Word of God that Paul says, let me, let me bring you back, he said, because it happens everywhere. Let me bring you back. The Word of God says this, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom, come on somebody, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. You are free. If you are in Christ, you are free. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are free. Therefore, 
There's a therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's he talking about? He's talking about sin. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will have no advantage of you. There was a group of people that said, if you really want to be free in Christ, you also have to follow the law. Here are the things you can and cannot do. And Paul is saying, whoa, wait a minute. If you're, if you're thinking it's Christ plus something you can do, you've missed it. It's Christ plus nothing. That's not just about salvation, that's about freedom. So he goes on and says, I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are, uh, you, you are severed from Christ, you who, would, you who would be justified by doing good works. You have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Woo! Only. Only. Matter of fact, by the way, just in case that kind of message with your mind, Romans 14 says anything that does not come from faith is sin. That'll really mess you up. So he's saying here, he's saying, look, the only thing that matters, the only thing is faith working it out. Through love. We are not saved by the working it out, but when we are saved, we work it out. That's what freedom looks like. Freedom doesn't look like just Christ working in. It's freedom is Christ working in so that we can work it. It's Christ works it in so we can work it. That's freedom. So Paul's talking about freedom, but what does freedom mean? I know, I, know, I know we love to, to, to quote this verse and stand on this verse, right? Uh, but the real question is, how do we actually apply this verse into our daily lives? How do we actually live out this thing called freedom? Here's, here's the problem. Here's the truth. The truth is that freedom in this country especially is celebrated as foundational, right? It's celebrated as foundational. It's in our cultural DNA as a people that we are free. That's, we are the home of the brave and the land of the... Free. Man, it is just our right as Americans to be free. But have you ever wondered how that view affects your view of spiritual freedom? Because one moment, that, that concept that you grew up in doesn't just affect the way that you see life from the outside. It's the way you see life on the inside as well. Our culture impacts, my friends, and often shapes our view of freedom. Our culture impacts it, and it shapes it. The reality is, I think, honestly, in church, this is really a stumbling point for many. Because especially in modern day, we are so often allowing culture to reform what Christian liberty is and is not, how freedom is and is not. And it's what we've been talking about, this kind of collision point between being a believer of Jesus and a believer that in God's promises and a disciple that follows God's promises. And these two things are often in great tension inside of us, sometimes on a daily basis. Because some days I can be a believer, and some days I can be a disciple. Come on, anybody else in here? But what I really want to be is a disciple. I want to be a follower. I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So that's where this actually comes to. So I have to understand what differentiates the two. What we need to understand is when it comes to freedom, believers tend to filter freedom through a cultural lens. A cultural lens. Social culture, generational culture, family culture, even spiritual culture that they grew up in. Begins to shape the way that we see freedom. 
But disciples view freedom only through the lens of the king and the kingdom. How do I define freedom? I don't know. Who's the king and what's his kingdom? That's it. Come on, how many of us grew up in a home where one of our parents would be like, I don't care what they do at Johnny's house. Come on, somebody, we don't do that in this house. Ah, defining freedom. How many of us driving in this morning saw billboards, click it or ticket? They're defining freedom. If you grew up in a youth group like I did, my, my youth pastor was like, everybody else might be listening to that music, but that's devil music. We are not listening to that music. And we literally had record, like album-breaking parties. That's right, I said albums. Some of you are going to have to Google what that means. We would go to the parking lot and break the albums. Now I'm wishing I had the albums back. I could pay for a beach house. Somebody say Amen. Dag Nabbit Youth Pastor. <laughs> From our earliest ages, guys, we are being conditioned to know what freedom is by what culture tells us freedom is. Even in church, wine or no wine. Speaking in tongues or speaking in tongues of the devil. Raising our hands in worship or you better sit quietly, boy. Sit in that pew. Come on. Do I pray to saints? Pray to Jesus. From the earliest age possible, externally and internally, we are being conditioned by culture to tell us what freedom actually looks like. So when we come to this scripture, this is why I'm telling you, this is why it's so important we understand. Because when we come to scriptures like this, we've been conditioned to view freedom through the allowances and limitations we've been taught are acceptable. That's why it gets murky and messy. And we're not alone, by the way, in that. We're not alone. Because there's a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus is with his 12, and they roll up to a guy's house who is blind. The boy's blind. And Jesus is all about healing the boy. And their first response is this. Who sinned? Who messed up? Hey, Jesus, who's, we want to make sure we know who's in the wrong because we don't want to be on their side. Who's in the wrong here, Jesus? Because they were living, they saw life through their culture. Their culture told them when someone was born sick or born with limitations that it was either their sin or their parents' sin. So when it came to seeing situations, it came to seeing opportunities for breakthrough, opportunities to bring health, opportunities to actually live free, they saw it only through the cultural lens that they were accepted. So often we do the same thing, don't we? We see our situations and our opportunities through the way our culture tells us to see them. Are we free or not free to do? Can we act or not act? Do we embrace those people? Or boy, you better distance yourself from them by what our culture says. I think this gets harder for us even as Americans. This is why we can't ignore this topic in this room. Because in America, freedom is founded in self-determination. The very essence of America is self-determination. We conquered East Coast to West Coast because we had something called the Manifest Destiny. We are ordained by God to take this place because it's our self-determination. I do me, you do you. 
It's this place where self-happiness and self-determination become the parameters but through which we actually view freedom. There are cultural conditions. It's in the very foundation of the document that founded us. The inalienable rights that all of us have. Inalienable rights given by God, what are they? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Freedom and pursuit of happiness are intricately entwined in who we are as Americans. So when we talk about freedom, inside of us, it is reinforced by the culture that says real freedom is you being able to choose what you do. And when someone says no, it's an infringement on your freedom. So when God says no, he's infringing on my freedom. Oh, that's just religion. That's just, no, no, God's saying no. The problem is, my friends, when we allow our cultural conditioning to actually determine our sense of freedom, we will end up hurting others, hurting ourselves, and we will end up distancing ourselves from Jesus. Our desire will be to close the gap, but our choices will cause a distancing. See, there's always a gap between my choice sometimes, come on, my desire and my choice. But there's always a correlation. My choices, come on can either separate or draw me near. We see this in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a moment that probably most of you are familiar with in John chapter 8, where the Pharisees caught a woman who was caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus, and their culture told them that they were free to stone her because of who she was. She was dirty. She wasn't like everybody else. She, she was a pox on our community, so it's free to stone her. And they thought maybe, maybe I'm thinking this, maybe they're thinking, man, we can have a little bit of fun and trick Jesus into heresy so we can stone him too. Because if he's a heretic, the law says we're free to stone him. So they bring this woman before Jesus in their freedom with all intention to do what freedom tells them they can do. Let me ask you a question. How does Jesus act? Does Jesus call that freedom? He actually responds quite differently because he determines freedom from the heartbeat of heaven. What does heaven say? What is heaven's view? What does heaven's purpose in this moment look like? Does it look like stoning her or elevating her? Does it look like killing her or bringing her back to life? Does it look like removing hope or giving hope? He begins to redefine in that moment. He doesn't condone the sin, and this is where we get messed up in our country. He doesn't condone the sin, but he still redefines freedom. Because true freedom is found in the purposes of heaven, not in the proclamations of our culture. Do you know what he starts to do? He starts to write in the dust. And as soon as it always freaks me out, we've talked about this before, but he starts to write in the dust. It's kind of weird, but it's not weird if you understand what he's doing in the midst of this moment. Because just the day before, he had stood before that crowd and said, I want you to know, if you're thirsty, I'll give you streams of living water that'll flow out of me. He's talking to the Holy Spirit. They were mad at him then. They wanted to kill him, but they couldn't. So they trap him with this woman on this day to kill him. So he starts to write in the dust. Why does he write in the dust? Because the, this crowd, these Pharisees, these Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they were scholars of the word. They should have known this verse. 
that points to the, the Messiah who Jesus was. He's doing it to show them Jeremiah 17, 13. Jeremiah 17, 13 says this, O you, the hope of Israel, right? That's a messianic term. All who forsake you will be put to shame. All those who turn away from you, their names will be written in the dust. For, all who, for, for they have forsaken the spring of living water. But how good is our God? Think about that in a different context. He's not correcting them to correct them. He's correcting them because he loves them. He's trying to show them in the midst of their misuse of freedom how much he still loves them and how far they're missing him. He's trying to say, I know you're trying to do it for me, but the way you're doing it is it doesn't have the heartbeat of me. I know you're saying you're trying to, it, these acts are trying to get you close to me, but they're pushing you away from me because this is who I really am. Freedom, my friends, is found in who he is. It's found, it comes from knowing who Jesus is. Then he lifts her up. What's he say to her? I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. See, the heartbeat of freedom is found in the wholeness and the healing that Jesus can bring. The wholeness and healing that Jesus can bring. When I talk about freedom in Christ... I'm talking about the wholeness and healing of holiness that can come into my life that wasn't available before. The wholeness and healing I can help bring into someone else's life. The ability to lift up a community, to elevate someone's hope. That's what real freedom is. It's the ability to change them from the inside out. All those broken parts in me and broken parts in them that lead us away from God. Can I just really take something off of you? I want to encourage you in a moment. Take something off of you. In any given moment, we are only responsible for our character in any given moment. We are not responsible for people's or our culture's response to that moment. We are only responsible for how we respond in that moment. Does it look like Jesus? Does it smell like Jesus? Does it taste like Jesus? Come on. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, it's a duck. So we got to ask ourselves that same question in these kind of moments. Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well in his culture, unheard of. He touches and embraces lepers. Shocking. He, forg- uh, he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. Ridiculous. Come on. He forgives the wretched and the immoral. Unthinkable. But it's the heartbeat of heaven. That's what freedom looks like. Because the heartbeat of heaven was to get in those situations, not to tell them that that situation is fine, but to actually elevate them from the inside out. Instead of standing on my soapbox, getting ready to throw the stone, it's sitting at the table, come on somebody, giving them the food that you cooked. Instead of telling them they shouldn't be hungry, come on church, it's making a meal so they can be full. That's what this looks like. The wholeness the health, the holiness of the king. I think our issue is that when we talk about freedoms in this country, we tend to confuse those things with our American rights. As if my constitutional right gives me freedom. But the truth is that's only cultural conditioning of how to look at freedom. That's why when those so-called rights are challenged, we in the church begin to believe we've lost freedoms. Oh, I just, I I stepped across the line. 
The person who's saying this loves this country more than I can say. But if I am not real in these moments about how the love for that country taints the way that I see freedom, I'm doing a disservice to you and to my king. We think we've lost freedoms. But we have, we have to remember, the person who's writing this verse, the person who's talking about freedom, is in prison when he's writing this. And he doesn't say that he's, he says, oh, by the way, matter of fact, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of circumstance. I'm not a prisoner of the devil. His freedom was not determined by what was available to him or the permissions that were taken away from him. His freedom, and thus the freedom in which Paul is talking about, comes from knowing that when we walk in total surrender to the king, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what is available to us or taken away from us, when we walk in submission to the king, we are truly free. So let's ask the question. When Paul wrote this, did he have the right to preach the gospel? No. But was he free to preach the gospel? Heck yes. Because there are freedoms that only the king can give and that no one can take away. When I view my freedom through what the king says and the kingdom says, no one... The Bible says that sin can't take away this. Sin is the most powerful force that comes against the created order and against humanity. And Jesus says, if sin can't take it away, come on, what can? The devil's not stronger than sin. The government's not stronger than sin. Hell wasn't stronger than sin. So what he's saying is, therefore, in Christ, there is nothing that can remove freedom that our king calls freedom. The problem isn't what the king calls freedom, it's what we're calling freedom. Because when we say freedoms are being taken away, we don't mean what Jesus said. We mean what a piece of paper says. I applaud the piece of paper. I applaud the men who wrote it. I applaud their effort. But it's not the word of God. I'm not, I live in this, in this nation, but I'm a citizen of heaven. My, 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 I, my, the mantle I wear, the passport I carry, says United States of America. But the mantle I wear says property of Jesus. So that's what we have to, thank you, baby. That's what we have. Hallelujah for a good wife. Preaching myself happy. So what is freedom? Are you all with me today? We're going to wrap up in a few moments because I'm thinking about the red beans and rice. I know you're all looking at your watch. But I can't just lead you to the water. We've got to, we've got to drink this bad boy. We've got to drink it. We've got to force ourselves to drink. Danielle and I have had some really hard conversations over the last two years. Because there are things in me that had to break. Because I was misdefining, misrepresenting uh, what freedom was. What is freedom? Freedom is the ability to do what I could not do before. To be holy. To be holy, to walk in intimacy with God, to live by faith, to make decisions from a higher place and a higher plane because his ways are above my ways. Let's be honest. Before I came to Jesus, I was free to have self-determination. That's what got me into a lot of trouble. That's what got you into a lot of trouble too. That's what got all of us into trouble in the garden. Adam and Eve's self-determination. 
So I, have a, I, I had to wonder, I've been wondering this question. When you and I are fighting to define freedom from a place of self-determination, are we more connected to the first Adam or the second? We have to ask ourselves a question. I had self-determination, but I could not follow Jesus as Lord of my life. I couldn't. Uh, uh, it's, it's more than being saved. It's more than being forgiven. Galatians 1.10, Paul says this, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's a cleaned up way in English because the Greek doesn't say that. The Greek says, I'm a doulos. I am a slave. I've been purchased. Now, I know that rubs us the wrong way, and I understand why, but you've got to understand where he's coming from. He's not talking about purchasing a humanity of a person and making them less than a person. He's saying, I am not my own. I was bought at a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am free, but the freedom exists only within the boundary of service to the king. I need to say that again. We are free. But our freedom only exists within the boundary of our service to the king. When our self-imposed freedom takes us outside the boundary of service to the king, we are not free. We are slaves to sin again. But even this, we have to be careful. Because this can get a little sideways. It can get a little wonky. In Matthew chapter uh, 12, there's a story, many of you know, may know it, where Jesus is walking through the fields with his disciples, right? It's a Sabbath, and they start to pick the heads of the wheat. And the Pharisees, the legal people, they show up and say, whoop, that's unlawful. You're not free to do that. And Jesus redefines the moment by who he is. He said, I know what you think is unlawful, but let me tell you who I am. Sabbath was not made, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made to bless the man. Oh, and by the way, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So what they're doing is not sin because of who I am. Mm. But, but the Holy Spirit, oh, I was reading this. I was like, yeah, that's good. Man, I can do because God said, and he's to reflect. And then, 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 then the Holy Spirit said, yeah, 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 I know. But was Jesus doing it? I was like, Crap. Was Jesus doing it? No. He didn't tell them to do it. They were hungry, so they acted up. How many of us get in trouble because we are simply following our stomachs? Yes, his grace covered them. Yes, he used the moment to reveal and establish a deeper revelation of who he was. But he was not doing it. So we can be walking in the fields of grace, doing what might not be sin but still not walking truly in the wholeness of freedom. Maybe it's something that we can consider. How often are we picking things out of the field of grace that Jesus covers, but Jesus is not doing, but we're calling it freedom. Freedom, my friends, is found in both who he is and what he is doing. It is only found in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not the Savior Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Not my best buddy, my homeboy Jesus. Not my co-pilot Jesus. Not, my, my, not the guy I hang out with at the gym Jesus. The King Jesus. Because if you notice in the beginning of this verse, there's a juxtaposition of submission. Either we are going to submit to the yoke of sin, or we are going to submit to the Lordship of the Savior. That's all we've got. 
We are submitting to something. Which one are we going to live under? And I want you to notice, by the way, he was writing this to people who were saved. He was writing it to the church. He was saying, hey, in church, do you realize that you still can be submitted to the wrong thing? You can be saved. You can be going to heaven. You're going to have a party up there. Angels are going to rejoice. But on earth, you are still living in the wrong yoke. You're still living under the wrong submission. You're still being a believer, acting like a believer when you should be acting like a disciple. And we can see this picture between these two kind of uh, images, a believer and a disciple, through the children of God who are walking in the wilderness. We've been talking about it for the last couple of months, but they were free from bondage. Patrick mentioned it, right? At the pass, I mean, at Passover, they got free from the bondage. They got out of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea. They are free. And as, they, as long as they kept following the cloud, when they were following the cloud, when they were following the word, when they were following what God was saying, man, there was unbelievable provision. Manna kept falling. Water kept coming from stones. They were protected from enemies, right? There's this, the presence of the Spirit of God was with them everywhere they go. Fire by night, cloud by day. Why? Because it's freezing in the desert by night, so God gave them a bonfire. It's hot as Hades in the day, so he gave them a cloud to refresh them, right? When they are following, there is provision, there is protection, there is presence. But when these free folk decide that they have walked far enough and they don't want to go any further, they don't want to follow anymore, in this place called Rephidim in Exodus 17, the Bible says when they stayed behind, the enemy came in and conquered them. And they died. They were free, but the place from which they were working out that freedom didn't protect them. It's when they used their freedom to rebel and have self-determination that golden calves were formed and they called them God. And 3,000 people in their community died. They were free, but their misuse of freedom brought destruction to their family, their friends, their communities. This is people who've been set free already. This is the church. This is us. This is why we have to do it together. It's when they got selfish and apathetic with God's provision of manna. And they were like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to go out every day. I don't want to do what God's doing today. I just, I just want to collect it. Can't I just collect it? I'm just going to collect it. I'm too tired. I don't, I don't need to be there. I know God will do what God, God's my provider. Do you know what God did? He said, cool. You want to act like that? Uh, open the jar. It's moldy. In their misuse of freedom, the result was personal lack. So we can be free and misuse our freedom in such a way that we don't, we're not protected, our community is living in destruction, and we are experiencing personal lack when Jesus died to give us abundance. To live in the freedom. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. You're free to go ahead and do whatever you want to do, because after you come to Jesus, it ain't going to keep you out of heaven, but it ain't going to protect you. It ain't going to provide for you. Come on, somebody. It's not going to lift up your community. This is real talk because we're misunderstanding freedom. 
I'm free to do whatever I want to do because Christ forgave me. That is basement level living. No, I am not free to do whatever I've, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I want to do because Jesus died for me. I'm free to do everything I couldn't do without Jesus because he died for me. Heal the sick, cast out the demonic, feed the hungry, clothe the naked. Grieve with those who grieve. Come on, rejoice with those who rejoice. Edify a body, serve the king, advance the kingdom, break down the doors of hell, and fill the corridors of heaven. Everything I could not do before, I get to do now. That's freedom. We are defining freedom from the wrong place. And when freedoms that we have defined as rights start to get taken away, we begin to get antsy when we should see it as an opportunity. I said to my Forge group the other day, do you realize in history the greatest movements of God did not come when there were cultures of freedom of speech? They came when it was illegal to preach the gospel. For 300 years, the greatest empire the world has ever seen persecuted the church violently, desperately, trying to eradicate this one thing they couldn't conquer. They had beaten the Goths. They had beaten barbarians. They had beaten uh, the, the Greeks. They had beaten the Persians. They had beaten into India. They had beaten every culture they ever faced. You know what culture they couldn't beat? Kingdom culture. Because when men and women stopped defining freedom by the rights they had and began to define freedom by the king and his kingdom, even the mightiest empire fell to their knees. Can America change? Yup, it's sitting in the seats. Can this next generation, I know you know the problem with this generation. Do you know that our, the, my parents' generation said that about my generation? I said it about Gen X or Gen Z or whatever the next one was. Y'all are saying it about millennials. Oh, man, this nation's going to hell in a handbasket. These millennials, we're never going to make it. They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. You know the answer for that is not sitting in the White House. It's sitting in God's house. When we understand you can remove my rights, but you cannot remove my freedom in Jesus. And that freedom is defined but what my king is and what my king does. What my king is and what my king does. Who my king is and what my king does. I wonder, my friends, how differently our life would be if we started to define and redefine freedom that way. I've got a lot more. We're done. I'm going to send you home. I'm going to get you some food. We're going to go worship. But this is what I want to end with. Just this thought. When we see holiness, not as a set of rules, but as a foundation for freedom, we will give no, dis no room for distance between ourselves and God. When we see holiness not as what I cannot do, but what I can be yeah. now that I could not be before, dude, I'm still screwed up. Like I said, there are days that I rise up and I'm a believer. There are days I rise up and I'm less than a believer. Somebody say amen. 
Because if not, you're lying and you're dying today. That's not the me I was born to be. It's not the me he died for me to be. I need to be that man. I'm free to be that man. And, and when I believe I'm not free, I'm believing a lie from the devil. And when I believe that holiness is the enemy to being that man, I have believed the wrong thing. Holiness, the things that restrict, uh, the, the things that structure me are not there to restrict me. They're, they're there to guide me to be the man I can be. They are the wisdom that has gone before me, the breath of ages that sees the beginning and the end, that helps me walk down a road that he is paving before me. Thy word is a light unto, a lamp unto my feet. It helps me to see who I am. It's a light unto my path that helps me to walk it out. How can I know what freedom is if I don't know who he is? And when my personal freedom keeps pushing distance between myself and God, I've got to question my definition of freedom. Do you know how they make popcorn, microwave popcorn, by the way? Do you know how they make it? It's not, they don't just take it off the cob. Anybody ever think that? You like, take it off the cob, throw it in, and push it, and pop? No. If you do that, it's a mess, and you're, it's a mess. They artificially put a drop of water inside the corn, the, the, the kernel. Artificially put in there, make space for it, so that when it's heated up, pop. Now that is awesome when you and I make room for the Holy Spirit to come into our life. So that when life heats up, and it will, and you will be persecuted for walking this kind of freedom, it boom explodes. But when the thing that we allow in there is self-determination, self-will, pursuit of my happiness... My broken desires given away, my secret sins that I don't want to confess and bring out into the open. When I allow that thing to drop inside of me, when the heat comes and it will pop. And there goes my life. There goes my family. There goes my kids. There goes church. There goes my testimony. There goes everything I've been living for. The freedom he gives me is there to help me understand who he is and what his kingdom looks like and to make me who I am called to be. I am not defined by what I got out of and am no longer. They were slaves in Egypt but they weren't any longer. I am defined, I have to define freedom by how much I'm willing to submit to my Savior. How much am I willing to stay at his side? I wanna run, I wanna go, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, God, I submit to your side. My friends say, culture says, cancel culture, people, my neighbors, my dysfunctional family, the things around me, the circumstance, the government, every, God, I have to stay at your side. The greatest freedom we'll ever find is being on our knees at the side of the throne. Where are you, Matt, today? We're going to pray. 
I'm going to pray that that kind of freedom sits inside of you. That the drop, the space that's being put inside of you today, the water that's being put inside of you today is a fresh breath of the living water. A fresh drop of the Holy Spirit. Because there is a pop that needs to happen. Come on, church. There is an explosion that needs to happen. It's in Jesus. Maybe, before I even pray that, maybe if you are here and you've never actually had taken the opportunity to make space for God in your life, today's the day, today's the moment. Make space for Jesus. It's as easy as simply calling on his name. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that he died and rose again for me and it's enough today, today, today I'll be saved. Today I'll be out of Egypt and then I get to choose whether I'm going to follow him as king. Maybe you've made that decision, but to be honest, he's only been Savior, but for a long time, he hasn't been King. Today's the day to come back and bow your knee. Today, you are free to make the decision to come as a free man or a free woman to be a servant of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Today, real freedom is available at the cross of Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray. And whether this is your first time or whether you've had distance between yourself and God, and today's the day you're saying yes to him, we're We're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill our lives in this place. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you all I've got. I'm holding nothing back. I'm willingly bending my knee to you, Jesus. I'm asking you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive me of my sin, To cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. To fill me with that living water. Help me to be bold. Help me to be brave. Help me to be courageous for your kingdom. Because I choose from this day forward to live fully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on, can we give God some glory today? Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. We give you glory and honor and power and praise. Woo! Man, I'm so, thank you for letting me, look. Thank you for the time. Thank you for letting me preach that word. Thank you for being willing to receive. And I know, look, I know, I know. When iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. I get it. Sometimes friction is needed to sharpen the dull blade. Come on, if you're comfortable with the message, you might have missed the message. If you're discomfortable with the message, wrestle with it, with the word of God, the spirit of God, and let him sharpen you. Hey, we're going to go worship and eat together at the truck. I know it's ready out there. You, can, you are free to eat inside or outside. Whatever you want, we've got chairs out there. We've got chairs and tables in here. But can I encourage you, take some time. Take 15, 20, 25 minutes. Grab some food. Sit next to maybe someone you don't know as well yet. Ask them this. Tell me your story. How'd you get to Jesus? How'd you get to church? Tell me your story. Take a few moments. And as you do, as we leave today, as we go out to in this next phase of worship, can I encourage you to worship by giving? Because truly your giving actually helps us make a difference in this world.
Giving is, as Danielle said already today, an act of worship. We don't give because we have to give. We give because we are free to give. Freely we have received. The Bible says freely give. Giving is part of freedom. It's not only the act of freedom from us to God. It's an act that helps us bring freedom to others who don't know God yet. What a way. On the screen, you're going to see there's lots of ways that you can do that. There's going to be a QR code up there. There, is, uh, there are envelopes that you can drop in these wonderful golden kiosks on the side. You can always give online, uh, any of those ways. But, before, but as you're doing that, as you're deciding in your heart what to give, let me just pray for the offering, and then we're going to go. Jesus, thank you for giving us all that you gave us. Time, our talents, our treasures, our tithe, and our testimony. In abundant quantities. So that we are free to give back to you out of the heart that loves you with everything it's got. You are our king. And we choose to give into your kingdom. I pray a blessing on the giver, but I, press e I pray even a bigger blessing on those who will receive from the gift. We love you, we praise you, we honor you, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you in a tangible way today with what you've given us already. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, come on up, Pastor Ron. Come on, give Pastor Ron a hand really quick. Wasn't that a good word? I know Pastor Kyle was trying to escape the stage. I was, I was. So I was trying to get the. So we can all go and eat. Red uh, beans but and I rice. just wanted to pause for one more family moment for all of us. You know, the scripture talks about how we're called to honor those, dedicate their lives to direct our hearts towards Jesus. And today we want to honor Pastor Kyle today. Thank you. Thank and you, I actually buddy. have a word. Uh, I love you. Thanks, yeah. man. What's that great word oh. this morning? This says Padre. I love it. But actually, I actually thought about today, and the Lord had really, please have a seat for one more second. The Lord had a word for us today as a church, as an ecclesia. Pastor Kyle taught us that we're a group of people, a group of followers of Jesus moving in the same direction. Yeah. And it's not a coincidence that today is Juneteenth and Father's Day. I know, right? Because the first scripture that I remember is how the Spirit of the Lord comes upon those who preach the good word and set captives free. And the Lord gave me this scripture for Pastor Kyle and for our church this morning. Psalm 107. And just listen to this for one second. He turns the wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for the dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. Yeah. He also blesses them and multiplies greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. Yes. Yet he sets, sorry. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, 
and makes their families like a flock. The righteousness, the righteous see and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the love and kindness of the Lord. Wow. So we wanted to thank you, Pastor Kyle, Thanks, Pastor Danielle, because over these last few years, we've been on a journey together, and the Lord has awakened in us things that we need to see as the righteous ones who follow him, ways in which he desires for us to build the city, to restore yes. what has been ruined, yes. to be rebuilt again. Yes. So thank you, Pastor Kyle, for thanks, directing brother. us in that way. Thanks, That's brother. a word for you uh, and for this coming year. Thanks, brother. I love you, man. Thank you. I'll receive that. I love it. I love what Pastor Roger said. We get to rebuild and restore together. We get to rebuild and restore together. We get to rebuild and restore together. Come on. One man walks alone and he falls. The Bible says, who's there to help him up? But two have greater return for their work. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. Together. Some of that work is going to chow down on that pulled pork. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Go have a great time. I'll see you next week. Happy, uh, have a great day.